build my church. These are the words that God spoke to St. Francis of Assisi. Rebuild my church. And if we heard something like this, Fred, you know, we're going to go and we're going to rebuild something. We're going to take it pretty practically. We're going to pick I, up our hammer. I will, I will bring my paint roller and all my, my paint brushes and we will go to town. Exactly. We're both pretty practical. And so if we hear, you know, replace that, go fix that, we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to fix it. And that's exactly how St. Francis initially responded to God's words, rebuild my church. He started going and physically fixing churches. But he realized that what God was asking of him wasn't physical. It was spiritual. Because we are the church. The people of God, the body of Christ, we're the church. And, you know, St. Francis, he's known for helping bring many people to conversion. But this call wasn't even about rebuilding others. It was about himself. Because why would we need to fix something or rebuild a structure? Because it's fallen, it's worn out, it lacks strength to stay standing. And in God's words to rebuild his church, St. Francis came to understand this as God saying, you are broken. So he began rebuilding himself. Obviously, only through the help of Christ can we do this, but he began rebuilding himself. And to be a church that is standing strong and prepared to handle any weight, to be rebuilt, we have to start with holiness. Looking interiorly at the ways that we need to be rebuilt by the holy carpenter. And I love that. I love that these are the words that God says to St. Francis because Jesus is the carpenter. So our divine carpenter is the one who rebuilds us in holiness. And this is today's topic, holiness, because this is where we should all start. Yeah, and tied to that, Kara, is the idea of living stones, that we're all living stones in, in the building up of the church. And I think one thing you point out is that as living stones really the key to changing the world is it it starts with us it's our own heart and our own growth and holiness and once we cooperate with god in that rebuilding then we're able to go out and help others to be rebuilt and and become those living stones as well in the church we really can't help others to become holy until we ourselves are at least pursuing holiness which is a lifelong process you know you're not going to just get up in the morning and be holy um you can get up in the morning and pursue holiness certainly because it'd be it, holier it, than we were yesterday right and which should be our goal every day by the way yeah but it but it does it, it starts with our own interior holiness with our own response to the love of god right pursuit is our response to the love of god and i think it actually flows really well with what our last topic was it's in the episode for you where we talk about the love that God has for all of us because he sent his son. He's, we talked about Jesus as the unblemished lamb that was intentionally sent to be sacrificed for you. And we talk about this in the episode. It's called For You, that this love that God has for us was so beautiful, so profound that he came to die for you. But, you know, love is not a one-way experience, Right? It's like, okay, it can be if it's if it's love of a material thing. Like, I really love tacos, and those tacos are not going to love me back, but I will <laughs> still love tacos, right? So that's a one-way love. But the way that I love my kids, that's not a one-way love. They do love me back. Even my one-year-old who can't tell me, I can tell by the way, you know, his face <laughs> replicates my face and his actions replicate my actions, and, and that's him 
you know, respecting me and loving me in that moment. And my three-year-old, you know, she says, love you, mommy, or she wants me to come snuggle her before bed or something like that. So that is love reciprocated. And my love that I have for my husband, that's reciprocated. And, you know, how he supports me and, and encourages me and wants what's best for me and to help me get to heaven. And we spend time together and talk together. Like, that's a reciprocated love. And so love between people should never be one-sided. And this is what holiness is. Because we have this great gift of God's love for all of us. It's, and it's, an, it's a selfless and generous love that comes from the Heavenly Father. But when we have this incredibly intimate love and when we recognize it, it shouldn't be something that's like, hey, thanks for your love, I'll see you when I die, right? It should be something that's like, we feel that love and we want to give that love because that's our natural response as human beings. When we have a love between people, it's two-sided. And that's what holiness is, is we have this free, beautiful gift of love from God, the Heavenly Father, and how we choose to live our lives, that's holiness, and that's our, our love lived. Yeah, it really is. At the heart of the matter, love is, it's a decision of the will, and it's a choice. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in the externals. In terms of our faith, you know, we're saying that the love of God poured out for us requires a response, and it certainly does. But it begins more with the movement of the heart and our intention and steering our will to love God in return. So Jesus does say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Mm -hmm. But it's not something we can do on our own. It's our decision to respond to God in an act of love. And by his grace, he helps us to become perfect, to be perfect, um, and to grow in holiness, to be perfected over the course of our lives. And that's, that's a, it's a daily process for the rest of our lives. Our pursuit of holiness, uh, is, it does not end uh, on, on this earth. And I think sometimes we can get caught in the externals of, you know, doing this thing, checking this box and checking this box, as if somehow that in itself makes us holy. And it's not. And, and I'm going to just quote St. Francis de Sales here, and we'll tie it to St. Paul to, to illustrate what I'm saying here. St. Francis de Sales says, Many persons, by covering themselves with certain external actions, belonging to holy devotion, make the world believe that they are truly devout, whereas they are in truth nothing but images and phantoms of devotion. Those are some pretty strong words, but... St. Francis de Sales is reminding us there that it's holiness is not so much uh, something that we do by our own actions, but it begins in the heart. And he goes on to say this, True living devotion presupposes the love of God, and hence it is nothing else than the love of God. And what he's talking about there is that, that growing in holiness, that seeking perfection. But again, in Scripture, St. Paul himself says the same thing, 1 Corinthians 13. Many of us know that passage where, you know, he defines what love is. He, but he begins that chapter by saying, If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, 
I am nothing. If I gave away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And that's really getting at the point there that that, that growth in holiness, that, that rebuilding the church, if you will, starts with our love of God, our loving response, our humility. I, I think a lot of it is rooted in that, that humility to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I fall short. I need you. I need your help. I can't be holy on my own. Lord, I need your grace. Help me. Yeah, we always quote the book, I Believe in Love. And one of my favorite quotes within there is, humility is the heart of holiness. So absolutely recognizing that this call to holiness that we all have by, by nature of our baptism, we can't do it by ourselves. And humbling ourselves to recognize that. But the thing that's standing out to me is this one line thing that you, are, you said in passing, Fred. You said, checking the box and that's holiness. We perceive that as holiness. And I think sometimes in the Catholic Church, we kind of see that. You know, we have the Ten Commandments, we have the moral teachings of the church, and sometimes it can seem like we're just checking the box because this is what the church teaches. But going back to what you said about love being an act of the will, the definition of love is willing the good of another. How selfless is that? How selfless should our love be? And when we, when we go to First John, it says, God is love. God is this selfless, willing the good of another. And so when he loves us, that's what he wants. He wants the good for us. And that good, the greatest good, is to be united with him in heaven. And so these things that the church gives us, you know, the things that God gives us in the Ten Commandments and the moral teachings of the church, they are so beautiful because they invite us to a free response of love, to follow those things, to live our life in a way that will attain this greatest good. And that's how God loves us, by inviting us to this free response of holiness that's going to bring us face to face with him. Yeah, and it, it's also tying it back to humility as well. It's, it's recognizing the fact and being willing to recognize the fact that, yes, we do have many great gifts and talents. All of our listeners, you do. You have gifts and talents that are truly a gift from God. But at the same time, we all have weaknesses and faults. So in a certain sense, part of humility is thanking God for the gifts we've been given, but also entrusting our weaknesses and failures to him. Mm -hmm. St. Paul himself, again, did the same thing. You know, the things that I want to do, I don't. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And that, it takes humility. And that's the key to holiness in a lot of ways, is that humility. Right. That's Romans 7. But my mind also goes to the tax collector praying in the temple. And this is where we get the Jesus prayer, where we have the Pharisee who is, you know, thank you that I'm not like this person. But then the tax collector is like, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. In complete humility, recognizing he can't do anything apart from God and just praying for this outpouring of God's mercy. And Jesus says, that's who you should be like. So we absolutely need humility and reliance on God. And I even think too of of Simon Peter when he says, initially in the call to be an apostle, he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. We recognize we are sinful. We recognize that we can't do this apart from God. And in that recognition, we're inviting God to help us in this growth of holiness. Yeah, this this is the thing that perhaps in many ways was lacking with the rich young ruler. You know, he did all the things. Yeah. Um, he did 
all the things, as your daughter loves to say. All the things. (laughs) All the things. But the one thing he lacked was the very thing we're talking about. Right. You know, that, that willingness to humbly give it all, which begins in the heart. I mean, ultimately, it is conformity with Christ because Jesus came for many reasons, the key one being our salvation. But he came to be a model for how we are to live. He came to show us exactly what holiness is, and we see this in the Beatitudes and throughout Scripture. Jesus is basically pointing and saying, I am the Beatitudes. So how I call you to live is how I'm living. And so ultimately, to be holy, to live a holy life, is to live as Christ lived, but not just to live as he lived, but to be Christ to others. That's what Christian means. It means little Christs. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be little Christs to others in how we live our life. And I think the key thing there too is that Christ, when he encountered people, they encountered love. And so when we encounter people, when we're living a holy life, that's what they should see. They should feel loved. I think that was what what was noticed of the early Christians. It says, look how they love. And so in our witness of how we are Christ to others, people should feel the love of God. Amen. I'm reminded of the words from St. Patrick's breastplate there, Kara. Yeah, yeah. One line in particular from that beautiful prayer, he says, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That's what being holy looks like. That's what being holy means. That's what pursuing holiness looks like. And it's with God's help and grace grace we receive in the sacraments, helping us to conform us to the image of Christ, to be like that. But I would say it's easy to kind of get discouraged if we fall into moments where we're not being Christ. Because I think so often, you know, we're reminded of our past sins or we're reminded of our shortcomings. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough friends or man, that was really dumb. And like that continues to come back into the forefront of our mind. But holiness is not never messing up. Right. Proverbs says a just man falls seven times a day. So holiness is not never sinning, but it is aiming to not sin. It is aiming to Mm. continually unite ourselves to Christ, invite him in to help us in this growth to perfection, which we are called to. But recognizing that we are sinners like the tax collector. God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. So don't let that discouragement of moments of past sin or even moments of of sin today stop you from pursuit of holiness. Yeah, Kara, I, I, I find it very easy to be discouraged. I think even just as a parent, <laughs> you know, yeah. when, you know, in situations we encounter as a parent and think, wow, I wish I would have handled that better, right. you know, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And it, it's a struggle. And your faults are always going to be before you, and the enemy of our soul is always going to be there to remind us of those faults. And I'm thankful for an activity years ago that uh, a teacher had us do where we were to write our own eulogy, oh, wow. <laughs> which you can imagine that what that would be like. But I don't know, uh, thinking that way, in a way talking about holiness, we're, we're talking about the importance of beginning with the end in mind. And so I think what what comes forth there, if, if our goal is for people to say of us, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, 
then that's what we would want to be said at the end of our life. You know, the people that always stand out to me, and and I've known many people that I've heard this after they've passed. Well, so-and-so had never had a bad word to say about anybody. And every time I hear something like that, it's like, ah, I hope people say that sort of a thing about me. Yeah. You know? And then as I go across about my daily life and, again, face my shortcomings, you know, I get discouraged as well. And it's easy to feel discouraged, but I think every time we're, we're presented with discouragement, it really is It's an opportunity to thank God for saving us from our mediocrity. It's an opportunity for us to thank God for saving us from our sin. Yeah. You know, we talked about the gospel message last week and in, in our God's great love for us. If what we believe about the gospel is true, then in a very real way, it makes no sense to be lost in our discouragement because we're reminded of God's great grace, his mercy and love for us, that he gives us a second chance, a third chance, fourth chance, as many chances as we need. Seventy times seven. (laughs) Yes. As long as we are striving to follow him, as long as our will is inclined toward him, as long as at the end of the day we are seeking to love him, to know him and to serve him. I find great hope actually in when my weaknesses are placed in front of me because I always remember the scripture passage, my power is perfected in weakness. I don't know. I also think too, the common saying of Christ meets us where we're at. God meets us where we're at. And he absolutely does meet us where we're at. Even if where we're at is in the midst of darkness, suffering, sin, weakness, discouragement, wherever it is, that is absolutely where he can meet us. But people tend to leave out that next part, that God meets us where we're at, but he never leaves us where we're at. Because look at, look at what he does in scripture. We look at what Jesus says and what he does. And what he says is, be perfect like the heavenly father is perfect. But then what he does is he goes to the imperfect and he goes to the sinner. He goes to the outcast, the woman at the well, the tax collectors who people hated because they took them to prison and took their homes. And he went to fishermen who were not equipped to be apostles. You know, Simon Peter, he went to prostitutes. He went to these these people who were sinners. That's his example. But then he calls them to more. He calls them to be the leader of the church and the first pope. He calls them to be the disciple of the disciples. You know, he calls them to convert. And so I find great hope in moments where my mind goes to my past sins. There's, there's a level of grief and remorse, but I know I've been forgiven of that by the sacrament of confession. And so within that also, I find hope because God worked in that moment and he brought me out of that. And I think that's what he does for all of us in our pursuit for holiness is in our sin and in our weakness. He wants to work in that to bring us forward, you know, in in our pursuit for sainthood, ultimately. St. Maximilian Kolbe, he stresses this, that we are all given what we need to become a saint. All of the grace, the means is made available for us all to do what every believer in Christ Really, all people were made for, were created for, that is communion, relationship with God, but ultimately holiness. We are made to become saints. So in some ways, the only thing standing in our way is ourselves. Yeah. And how we respond to our struggle 
is part of that standing in the way. We have to realize that, uh, as St. Francis de Sales says, the ordinary purification and healing that we need, whether body or mind, takes place only little by little. He says, labor and patience is needed. And I love this part, Kara. He says, the soul that rises from sin to devotion may be compared to the dawning of the day, which at its approach does not expel the darkness instantaneously, but only little by little. Yeah. The disease of the heart come posting on horseback, but depart slowly on foot. Courage and patience are necessary. And so when I say the standing in our way, we're, we're the ones standing in our way from becoming saints. I mean a couple things. On one end, it's the, the being too hard on ourselves. But on the other end, it's the giving up completely. Lord, it's just too hard in this world. Um, it's just too, eh, I'll just continue on because it's easier. You know, we may not explicitly say that. We may not make a conscious decision to say those words. But I think in our, in our actions to the other extreme, we, we do, often do. You know, we give in to apathy and we kind of just get caught up in the current of the world as if holiness is somehow impossible. Mm-hmm. But with God, all things are possible and it isn't impossible. He's given us the grace. He's given us the means. You know, we can, we can know him through his word. We have the grace available to us in the sacraments. So it is possible for us to become holy. I would say something else standing in our way too is our reliance on ourself. Like mm-hmm. we want to will ourselves to be better and to be holy. And that's not how it works. It's right. not all on us. Um, I was asked to give a talk a few weeks ago and, and I was praying about this talk. It was about Mary and suffering. And I was praying about this and I kind of started struggling. And you know how sometimes in your prayer, Fred, you want to be really articulate and like you want to have fancy words and you're talking to God <laughs> and you're like, thank you for this opportunity, but if you could just really help me. And you know, you're kind, of, you're kind of like, you're talking to an elderly person that you really admire and respect. Well, in this prayer, God was like, basically saying to me, okay, Kara, just tell me what you're actually thinking right now. And he does that a lot of times, even though he knows what I'm thinking, but he wants me to invite him into that. And I started to break down a little bit. And I said to God, look, you've asked me to do this talk. You've placed this on my plate. And I just, you've, you've given me all these opportunities to go and talk about you and to talk about your love. And I just don't know why you picked me because I don't think I'm good enough. And God gave me like the greatest grace and comfort in this moment. And he said, you're not, but I am. And it was like this, I just started crying more because it wasn't like he was affirming all of these weaknesses in me that, you know, I struggle with and these insecurities that I have. But what he was doing was saying, Kara, stop relying on yourself Mm -hmm. and willing yourself to give a good talk or, you know, to be better. And he was saying, stop it because I'm the only one that can do this through you. So you're not good enough, but I'm good enough. And so if you let me do it, I will. And I think so often we, we're the ones who stand in our way of this pursuit of holiness because it's like we're chugging along saying, I can do it. I can be better. But really it's, it's I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. But God is good enough to do it in us. 
Amen. Kara, this is part of the struggle I have with sort of these those phrases, be a better person, a better yeah. you, that kind of idea. Yeah. Is because I think if it if it's taken out of context, it can be easy to misunderstand and we feel like all of the burden is on us and ultimately what that does is that, that creates more discouragement. But at the same time, we're not like in a, in the usual common everyday secular sense, yeah, we should strive to be better people. Absolutely. But in terms of our faith, ultimately what we're striving for, more than becoming better persons um, or better than we were, it's ultimately to become more like Christ. So I am striving to become a better Christ in the world. That is the proper way to phrase it when we talk about, you know, growing in holiness and our goal in life. That puts the, the emphasis in the right place. I mean, ultimately, I don't want to be the best Kara because the best Kara is still a sinner. I'm still a hot mess. And I don't think any of the saints said that. Like, that was not their goal, to be the best St. Augustine. Well, he wasn't a saint yet, but to be the best Augustine, to be the best Sister Faustina. You know, that was not what they said. They said, Christ live within me. That's what St. Paul said. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives lives in me. me. That's what the saints were aiming for. And, you know, sometimes we we talk about the saints, well, always as Catholics, we talk about the saints, but it's like they're these unattainable Catholic celebrities who we like, you know, I'm I'm a fangirl. I have a list of my favorite Catholic saints. But they're they're not unattainable because that's what we're all called to. And St. Maximilian Kolbe, he said, saints are people who love God. Mm-hmm. That's what we're supposed to do. And that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. To live a holy life, striving for sainthood, is simply to love God. You know, saints are people who keep trying. Right. Saints are sinners who keep trying. Right. And so what, what do they keep trying to do? To live as Christ's in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to realize that this, the perfection of the saints was found ultimately in their victorious struggle over the temptations of the world, their fight against the evil inclinations that we, we all have in our heart. You know, but through that all, they didn't take their eye off the prize, if you will. And, and Kara, you referenced part of a St. Jose Maria Escriva quote. I think we've mentioned it several times on several episodes because I love it so much. But it's talking about just this very thing. He says, what does it matter if we stumble on the way? If we find in the pain of our fall the energy to pick ourselves up and go with renewed vigor. Don't forget that the saint is not the person who never falls, but rather the one who never fails to get up again, humbly and with a holy stubbornness. God, I want to be a saint. That's that holy stubbornness. Lord, there's nothing I want more to be in a, a saint. That's what you've called me to become, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, If the book of Proverbs says that the just man falls seven times in a day, who are we, poor creatures, you and I, to be surprised or discouraged by our own weakness and falls? We will be able to keep going ahead if only we seek our fortitude in him who says, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Lord, because you and you alone, my God, have always been my strength, my refuge, and my support. That's how we become a saint. And we are called to become a saint. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the challenge that's, that's, that's going out from this episode. I think, you know, the world 
tells us, oh, you know, forget that. This, you're made for comfort. This, take the easier path, you know. It, but Pope Benedict reminds us, love this quote, you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Mm-hmm. You were made for greatness. And that's every person listening. And we mean made for greatness. Ultimately, we're talking about you know, whatever your state in life, wherever you are, you are called for greatness. You are called to be holy. You can be a saint, and God has given you the grace and give you the means. It's just a matter of, in a lot of ways, cooperating in that process and, and determining in your heart, Lord, I love you. Make me a saint. I want to be a saint. I think there's great hope, as we've talked about, in seeing our weakness and seeing our shortcomings and knowing that God is going to work in that and his, his power is in that. I find great hope that I was made for greatness. You know, the world would tell us that greatness looks a little different than what scripture tells us greatness looks like. But I think the greatest hope I find is in the church because it's not like Jesus says, be perfect. And then he leaves us and expects us to be perfect. And we even see this, you know, in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we see God, you know, giving these commandments to the Israelites. But he recognizes in Jeremiah 31, he recognizes they can't do it without me. And he gives them this promise of a new covenant where the law will be written on their heart. And that law comes in the Holy Spirit. And so we have this in the ministry of the church today where the Holy Spirit is within us. The law is written on our heart. Ultimately, there is nothing that will fulfill us, that will bring about this greatness that we are called to apart from God. And so having God living within us, dwelling within us through the grace of the sacraments of the church, that is what equips us to go out and live a life full of greatness. Having Christ within us allows us to be Christ to others. And so I find so, so much hope in going to Mass, receiving the sacrament of confession, watching young children get baptized, bringing my kids to the church to receive this grace. All of the different things in the ministry of the church bring such beauty to our lives in that we actually receive the makings to go and be holy saints in the world. Amen. Kara, you know, we've, we've really stressed that holiness begins with a conversion of heart, yeah, which is ultimately a response to God's love. At the same time, we've emphasized that it's not so much about what we do as it is the disposition of our heart, but at the same time, there are things that we can do and not do <laughs> which can help us in our pursuit of perfection, help us in our pursuit of holiness. So, One of the biggest obstacles, I think, to growing in holiness is deliberate venial sin. That's the kind of thing where it's like we're saying to God, I know this is wrong, I know this will hurt you, but it's not a really big deal, so I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. It'll only hurt you a little bit. Now, apply that to marriage. Right. (laughs) Like, Kara, how would you feel if, (laughs) you know, your husband... I know this is wrong, but I'm just it just hurt you a little bit. I'm going to do it anyway. And, right. you know, that's an obstacle to your growth as a couple. In a very similar way, it's an obstacle to our relationship with God. And in, in choosing 
in a way to hurt him just a little bit, all those little hurts tend to add up. And even when we make venial sin a habit, it becomes easier to sin mortally and to really cut ourselves. We kind of desensitize ourselves uh, to sin by doing that. Kara, another big obstacle, I think, is a lack of spiritual reading. Yeah. So we have to intentionally seek out resources that help us grow in our spiritual life. And I, I think especially the spiritual reading that the saints themselves read is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think of certainly St. Therese of Lisieux's autobiography. That's a good place to start, I yeah, think. Story of a Soul. Yeah. I would say, too, um, Scripture would be the best place to start. I think there are a mm. lot of different resources and, and saints' writings that are brilliant. But ultimately, I think the best thing when you are faced with a moral dilemma or uh, not knowing what you should do, that's what God wants you to do. Having the living word of God, having the voice of Christ in your head by knowing scripture and being able to pull from that or God being able to recall a passage in your memory, I would say that is huge for scriptural and spiritual reading to start with to start with the Bible because 5% 5% of Catholics feel that they're comfortable and know the Bible. 5%. Even though we have it in the Mass, we have it in our two readings, in the responsorial and the Gospel, and we have it throughout the whole liturgy of, of the Eucharist. It's such a beautiful experience of Scripture. But sometimes we don't even know that. We don't even know that that's what we're experiencing in reading. So I would say start there to help us in our in our pursuit of holiness. Yeah, Kara, that's actually where I was going on my next point. Awesome. Actually. Um, <laughs> But the reality here is the devil wants to put bad thoughts in our head. The world wants to put bad thoughts in our head. You know, what's better for us to go to bed at night thinking of than the Word of God or, you know, the witness of the saints? There is nothing better. We need to go on the offensive. St. John Vianney would always read from the lives of the saints before going to bed. So every day was reminding him of what his goal was. And it also helps to reorient when you get up in the morning. There are two ways to wake up in the morning. Thank you, Lord, it's morning. Or, oh, God, it's morning. You yeah. know? And, um, and I forget if it was a saint who said this, but I love the idea of waking up and, like, the second your feet hit the floor, the devil goes, oh, no, she's awake because they're, right, afraid, yeah. they're afraid yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and one will give you better results, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think Kara also... An easy trap to fall into in our busyness is a lack of mental prayer. And I think in some ways this is the worst. And this is where I was going to talk about Scripture, Kara. Okay. Uh, The lack of mental prayer. Kara, could you kind of explain Lexio Divina? Well, so I'm actually reading this book. It's called uh, Conversation with Christ, and it's based on the teachings of St. Teresa of Avila. And the whole thing is about meditation, which she refers to as mental prayer. And Lexio Divina is a form of meditating with scripture. So you would read a passage of scripture and then you pause and you allow God to speak to you through his living word. And you do this multiple times, allowing him to bring to mind a word, a phrase, even bring you into the scripture passage and allow you to experience it in a very personal way. So St. Teresa actually says, He who neglects mental prayer needs not a devil to carry him to hell, but he brings himself there with his own hands. If we neglect mental prayer, if we neglect meditating with Christ, and it's called, and she calls it, a conversation with Christ, we're already lost. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is such a, oh man, that is such a Isn't that a awesome? Powerful, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I want to say it was St. Thomas Aquinas that said, without mental prayer, it's an impossible to be saved. You know, St. Robert Bellarmine, if a person does not meditate, he will not persevere in the grace of God. Mm-hmm. St. Lawrence Justinian, temptation is banished and sadness driven away. Lost virtue is restored. Fervor is excited. I don't know about you, Care, but those are all things we need right now. Yeah. St. Aloysius Gonzaga, he who does not make much mental par- prayer will never attain a high degree of perfection. St. Alphonsus, it is morally impossible for him who neglects meditation to live without sin. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. All the yeah. saints. <laughs> yeah. St. Ignatius of Loyola, we talked about how this is a, a long process of, gro- you know, being perfected yeah. and growing in holiness. But he said mental prayer is the short way to perfection. Mm-hmm. So where do you start? Hey, give God at least 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Get in the word. If you don't know what to read in scripture, just look up the readings for that day. But take some time to really pray and internalize the scripture. We'll leave uh, in the show notes a how-to-do Lexio. Yeah. But mental prayer is how saints are made. Absolutely. So you're made for greatness. The path there is mental prayer. Yeah. And you're talking to, you're reemphasizing that it's it's slow. It's a slow process. And I'm, I'm thinking my mind immediately goes back to humility because I think the second that we start saying, all right, God, I'm all done cooking. I'm pretty holy now. Mm-hmm. You know, the second that we say, God, whatever else you throw at me, I don't need it because I'm exactly how as holy as I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's allowing pride to come in and we're not allowing God to yeah. call us to something greater, which is what we are made yeah. for. If you found yourselves at times saying, I think I'm pretty good, yeah. then you're farther away than you think. Yeah. And that's the reality here. <laughs> we need God's grace. And if our whole life is a pursuit of holiness, is becoming more like him. Going back to what we were saying earlier about being more like Christ in the world, he must increase and I must decrease. Mm-hmm. That is the goal. That is the goal. Yeah. It's easy to get discouraged by the way things look in the world. And we've talked before in previous episodes about how we're battling with the enemy of our souls. If we want to do anything to change the world, if we want to make the world a better place, it takes saints. We are going to have to become saints. We are going to have to pursue this thing called holiness. Peter Kraft Kara has this, this great article. You can find it online. Just Google it, How to Win the Culture War. And at the end, I love what he says here. I'm just going to read directly because it's impossible for me to say this better. <laughs> he says, Can you imagine what 12 more Mother Teresas would do for the world? Can you imagine what would happen if just... 12 readers, and we're going to, parentheses here, 12 listeners to this podcast. If they offered Christ 100% of their hearts and held nothing back, absolutely nothing, you can't imagine it any more than anyone could imagine how 12 nice Jewish boys could conquer the Roman Empire. You can't imagine it, but you can do it. You can become a saint. Absolutely no one and nothing can stop you. It is your free choice. If you will look into your own heart in complete honesty, you must admit that there is one and only one reason why you are not a saint. You do not wholly want to be. Each of us can become a saint. What holds us back? Fear of paying the price. What is the price? 
The answer is simple. T.S. Eliot defines the Christian life as a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. The price is everything, 100%. Complete submission. A bishop asked one of the priests of his diocese for recommendations on ways to increase vocations. The priest replied, The best way to attract men in this diocese to priesthood would be your canonization. And so Peter Kraft asks the question, he ends with this, why not yours? What would your canonization do? How would your canonization change the world?